my name is Autumn Dixon, and this week is December 18th through the 24th of the Come Follow Me program associated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is the end of 2023, which means we are wrapping up the New Testament. And for this week, we are going to be studying Christmas. We're going to be studying <laughs> the Savior in general with lots of different passages of Scripture. Now, the birth of the Savior, Christmas, what Christmas is all about. The birth of the Savior is a lovely story. It is a very humble story. And when I think about the fact that Christ was the pivotal character in the entire plan of salvation for the entire universe, <laughs> I find it very interesting that we don't know much about his early life for a lot of it, right? We Either he lived very quietly or we don't have a record of it. I find it also interesting that the most important works that were ever completed in the history of everything were completed in three years. Christ's public ministry was only three years long, just three years. He didn't have the internet to help spread his message. He, His leaders were very simple fishermen with flaws and he was killed by the apostate church and many of his followers were scattered and persecuted and the early Christian church did not look like much, but we know the ending. When I think about the fact that most people did not know that savior had been born, right? One of the biggest miracles that ever occurred on the earth, <laughs> a grand majority of humanity was never aware of it. They woke up the next morning and continued on their business, their regular business. So in terms of the world, this incredible, mind-boggling miracle of the Savior's birth is a very quiet story, right, in terms of the world. Now, there is a question asked in the Come, Follow Me manual in the very beginning in the introduction, and it is this question. It says, how did he fulfill his mission of redemption in the accounts you have read? So how did Christ, in all the accounts that we have available, how did Christ fulfill his mission of redemption? Now, this question jumped out to me because I believe it can be a very powerful question for two specific reasons. One, it can be powerful learning how Christ fulfilled his mission of redemption because we have all been given individual missions of redemption, not only for ourselves, but for others. And number two, we were born to emulate the Savior. That was why we came here, was to try and emulate and become like the Savior. And so if we can figure out how he did it, we can emulate it, right? That's why that's such a powerful question. I wonder how the world would change if we all woke up tomorrow and realized that we were meant to be a type of Christ, just like all of the people you read about in the scriptures. We were also meant to be a type of Christ to go through experiences that would help us become like him, to fulfill works that were meant to help us become like him. I can think of no better way 
to celebrate Christmas than to try and emulate how the Savior fulfilled his mission of redemption. Perhaps your story still seems very quiet, and it might seem quiet until the day that you die. (laughs) Most of us will live extremely normal lives by standards of the world. However, when you consciously, on purpose, consciously, purposefully try to follow the Savior, no matter what it looks like, even if it's super quiet, you will be able to change the world. And when you get to the other side, you will be amazed at how you are able to build the kingdom of God because you're able to tap into the power of the Savior. You will be amazed at how little actions, when you didn't even know you were being guided by the Spirit, how those actions built the kingdom in incredible ways. So how did the Savior fulfill his mission of redemption? There's a million answers to that question. We're going to talk about three. And then how can we emulate how he fulfilled his mission of redemption? Three ways. Number one, there was a time in Jesus's life when he was young and he went to a festival in Jerusalem with his parents and his parents lost him. And they went back and they found him and they were like, we've been worried about you. Where have you been? And this is how Christ responds. So this is Luke chapter two and it's verse 49. It says, and he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Now, there is an entire sermon in that verse, but I want to talk about just one, one part of that sermon to answer this question of how Christ fulfilled his mission of redemption. And that is the fact that he knew who he was. He knew who he was. He knew who his father was. And he knew that he had important things to do while he was here. So while everybody else was out celebrating a festival in Jerusalem, Christ, as a young boy, found himself in the temple, right? His knowledge of who he was, who his father was, and the important things that he needed to do influenced his actions. We have the same father. He's Christ's mortal father, but he is our spirit father. We are children of God. We are children of God and we also have important work to do, right? We don't even have to try to emulate for those things. Those are two facts that exist. However, let's talk about those two separate principles. Number one, the fact that you have a heavenly father, that you are his child, that you have innate divinity, holds significant implications for your life, but only if you believe it. It's true. You are a child of God. Everyone around us, they're children of God. But unless you know it and you believe it, it's not going to influence your life in the ways that it is meant to. Perhaps you have grown up your entire life saying, I am a child of God. But until you know it, it will not influence you to be able to fulfill your mission of redemption and change the world in the ways that the Savior meant it to. Have you sought out that knowledge to the extent that it affects how you feel about yourself to where you feel super confident in your ability to fulfill your life mission simply because you know that 
God is your biggest supporter, right? And it's very, very pleasant (laughs) to gain a testimony that you are a child of God. It feels good. It is a very happy knowledge, relieves a lot of stress. But even beyond the fact that is, is a pleasant thing to understand, we have an immense responsibility to learn that knowledge, right? So you can gain a testimony of the Book of Mormon. You can gain a testimony of the prophet. You can gain a testimony of the word of wisdom. There's so many principles in the gospel that you can gain a testimony of. And when you gain a testimony of the church in general, the other things kind of just come with it, right? Like, oh, well, if Book of Mormon is true, there's prophet, which means word of wisdom, right? It kind of echoes out. However, we have a responsibility to gain personal testimonies of these different principles, because when you gain personal testimonies of these individual principles, they affect your life more dramatically, especially the testimony that you are a child of God. (laughs) When you know that, when that particular principle hits home, it changes everything, right? You are able to fulfill the work that the Lord gave you to do because you're no longer preoccupied with the idea about whether you matter. It's no longer about you anymore. I'm good. I'm a child of God. The Lord loves me. I'm good. And I know that he's supporting me and I know that he has things that he wants me to do. And so it's so much easier to just follow him. We have a responsibility to seek out the knowledge that we are children of God, to internalize those facts so that they change us. Second part of that principle. So we have this same heavenly father and we have important things to do. Now the adjective important is a very interesting adjective in this particular context. Cause when you think of important, you think of something that's really visible and everybody knows about it and it's glorious, right? But in this context, in the context that you have important things to do for your heavenly father, it looks different, right? It might not look important according to the standards of the world. In fact, you might die not knowing which of your actions and which of your paths were actually the important tasks that you were given on this earth, right? You might just die and be like, I don't know which parts were the mission that I was supposed to fulfill while I'm right here, right? You don't need to seek out big, important, influential things that you feel like you're supposed to be doing. When you have a true testimony of the fact that you have important things to do, when you have a testimony that you have important things to do in the eyes of the Lord, this leads to to one simple overarching action. And that is seeking out the spirit to do the Lord's will. That's what it means. And What this looks like most of the time, most of the time, what this looks like is that you will live a pretty normal life without any particularly extravagant moments or any crazy miracles that everybody knows about and all these different things, right? And then you die and you get to the other side and Heavenly Father shows you how you are following the Spirit and making sacrifices and being led by the Spirit when you didn't even know you were being led by the Spirit and how different actions that you took in your life built up the kingdom in ways that you had no idea that they would do so. 
I think of Paul sitting in prison, writing letters to his converts. And I wonder if he knew, I go back to this all the time. I wonder if he knew how many people would read his letters and be changed by his letters. I wonder if he knew that that simple action of sitting in prison and writing a letter would influence as many people as it influenced. The Savior knew who he was, and it influenced his decisions. He sought to do the will of the Father so that he could complete the important tasks that he had been given, and we can emulate him in this manner. Okay, so second way that the Savior fulfilled his mission of redemption that we can emulate. He utilized God's power. Now, this is going to look a little bit different for us, right? (laughs) Christ was perfect, and so he had no trouble accessing the power of his Father. He handled it absolutely masterfully. We are obviously in a little bit of a different situation, right? So we are imperfect, and when we're imperfect... (laughs) that can cause dams to our access to the Lord's power, right? To Heavenly Father's power. Now, we are imperfect, but Christ is perfect. And because Christ is perfect, he performed the atonement, which means that we can become perfect. (laughs) Now, because we can be cleansed and washed through the atonement of God. There is no reason that we need to be inhibited in our ability to access the power of Heavenly Father. If we are trying to be better, if we sincerely want to be better and do what's right, the atonement can cleanse us so that we have access to Heavenly Father's power in the way that Christ had access to Heavenly Father's power. Now, this might look a little bit quieter in our lives. I keep using that word. It looks a little bit quiet in our lives, right? We see in the Bible how Jesus Christ calmed the storm or how he healed blind men, right? Despite the fact that our miracles may look a little quieter, they can be just as powerful because Christ wants to empower us to be able to build the kingdom. Now, his miracles, the, so specifically, like the idea of him calming the storm, that was a task that he needed to fulfill, right? Because his followers needed to see exactly who he was, which was the son of God, which was the creator of the earth, that he had power over all of these elements. He needed that. And it was a very overwhelming, overpowering miracle. But when it comes to us, and our quieter miracles, they can have just as far-reaching effects. So, for example, when we access the powers, the power of the Savior to help with spiritual blindness, this could be a very, very simple task. It could be as simple as bearing your testimony one month, or it could be as simple as talking about the wisdom of a particular gospel principle. Those can have extremely far-reaching consequences (laughs) towards building the kingdom of God. Now, that might sound a little bit blasphemous to some, the idea that I can 
perform miracles that are far reaching like the savior, right? However, let me, I guess, reframe that and explain it a little bit clearer. So we're on the same page. I am powerful because Christ comes in and cleanses me from my sins so that I can access his power to complete his work. In the end, I am just a channel. It is still his work. It is still him building the kingdom. It is still his miracles. And his miracles are powerful. He chooses to perform these miracles through his children because it's a double-edged sword, right? It affects two things. He is able to build the child he is utilizing, and he is able to build the kingdom in whatever work was being completed. He chooses to work through us. And so the work that we do can be just as powerful as with his work because it is his work still. (laughs) When we choose to belittle ourselves or to make ourselves small on purpose in an effort to not make waves or in an effort to not seem prideful or whatever it is, we are limiting his ability to perform mighty works through us. He has important tasks for us to complete, and he wants us to use his power, to use the power of his father, our father, to complete those works to build the kingdom. Now, a third way that the Lord fulfilled his mission of redemption that we can emulate, and that was the fact that he was willing to do what Heavenly Father wanted him to do. Now, we can think of a million examples of this not the least of which being when he was in Gethsemane and he didn't want to drink the bitter cup, but he did his willingness. I actually have another one that comes to mind when I think about his willingness. So this is Mosiah. It's chapter three and it is verse five. And it says, for behold, the time cometh. This is a prophecy about the savior's birth. For behold, the time cometh and is not far distance that with power, the Lord omnipotent who reigneth, who was and is from all eternity to all eternity shall come down from heaven among the children of men and shall dwell in the tabernacle of clay, shall go forth amongst men working mighty miracles, such as healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the lame to walk, the blind to receive their sight and the deaf to hear and curing all manner of diseases. I want to draw attention to that first part again. The time cometh that the Lord omnipotent who reigneth is coming. Now, the Savior was already omnipotent. He was already reigning. He did not need the plan of salvation. He did not need the plan of salvation in the same sense that we needed the plan of salvation. He did not need mortal life with all of its nuances and stretching and growth and joys and sorrows. He did not need that mortal experience. He had already reached his full stature. He was already exalted. And yet the plan of salvation was going to be void without his willingness. And we would not be able to get what we needed out of mortal life without his willingness. And so he was willing and chose to condescend and come down and have a mortal life (laughs) 
to suffer and sacrifice anyway, even though he didn't need it. He chose to condescend and be born down here on earth and not even to come as the king that he was, but to come down in a lowly manner so that he could eventually fulfill the work of the atonement to suffer in Gethsemane and to be crucified on the cross. He was born lowly so that he could be led to these circumstances. He was willing to sacrifice. And it is very easy to see this concept that the Lord was willing. (laughs) It's very apparent. Look at all that he was willing to sacrifice to come down to earth so that he could sacrifice some more. We can emulate him. Not to the extent that he did. But are we willing to sacrifice so that we can fulfill missions of redemption for ourselves and for others that we love, others that we might not even know? Are we willing to make sacrifices of free time so that we can further develop ourselves so that our talents can bless others? Are we willing to sacrifice a grudge that we feel like we deserve to be holding sacrifices are going to look different at different times in your life for different people. It doesn't always mean that you need to go spend three hours reading the Book of Mormon. Sometimes the sacrifice can be as simple as letting go of your own wants and what you think you deserve and being selfless and serving somebody else. And if you are willing, have you told him? (laughs) Have you knelt down and told the Lord that you are willing to fulfill your mission of redemption? And have you asked him to lead you so that you can fulfill those tasks, right? Because when we kneel down and pray, it's not for him, it's for us. And when we kneel down and pray and say, Heavenly Father, I am willing, then when he comes knocking, we are going to be more willing to open the door and follow and do what's been asked of us. I am grateful And I testify of a savior who was willing to condescend and be born into mortal life, into a lowly and humble mortal life. I testify of a savior who asks us to love others enough that we're willing to make sacrifices. And the interesting thing about these sacrifices is that when you take the sacrifice and you compare it to how he blesses us for being willing to sacrifice, it doesn't even count as a sacrifice anymore. In fact, the very things that we let go of are often the things that actually exalt us. He is asking us to emulate him so that we can live the blessed life that he lives. I'm grateful for his example. I'm grateful for his humble birth. I'm grateful that he loved us enough to do this when he didn't need to, when he didn't need it for himself. And I testify of him. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.